Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. You're welcome to follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible if you brought it on your phone. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning to all of you. And uh, just want to uh, welcome some uh, special guests that are here today. Phil and Lynn Steele have been a part of our church from the beginning of the church. They moved to North Georgia, but we'll welcome back you guys. Great to have you here. I'm excited about this passage of scripture this morning from Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And I want to take a moment to put it in its context. We'll put it in its biblical context in a moment, but I want to put it into our context. Some of you, uh, or if you, maybe none of you, are wondering, what are Lake Baldwin Church's goals for 2021? What are we shooting for? Where are we headed? Do we have any plans for that? Where are we going? One of the best ways that I can describe what we're shooting for in 2021 is to refer you to the five sermons in, uh, on, based on Ephesians 4 during the month of January. So if you miss those, we, we really are, sh- we want to be shaped by what that was about. So just to let you know what that was about in Ephesians chapter 4, It was about the ascension of Christ. It was about unity. It was about spiritual maturity. It was about the new life, and it was about the new community. And we believe that whatever God's called us to do as a church, we want it to be shaped by those passages in Ephesians chapter 4, and that's why we wanted to take a deep dive into those during the month of January. So how do we express those things at Lake Baldwin Church? Well, one of the ways that we do that is through what we refer to as our discipleship plan. Discipleship simply means following Jesus. It's about growing in your faith. And so here's a question. How does Lake Baldwin Church go go about helping people by nurturing their faith, helping them grow in Christ? I want you to look at this diagram that you have in your bulletin It's called our discipleship plan, and you'll notice three words there, connect, grow, and love. What does that mean? Well, we want to help people connect to Christ and to community, sort of like what Chad was saying about the Hoeys. The Hoeys come from Honduras. We want to help them remain connected to Jesus Christ and connect in community. What does grow mean? Well, Ephesians 4 was all about spiritual growth. It was just Uh, amazing that way, but we want to help people grow spiritually uh, through through grace and truth, the Holy Spirit using grace and truth and using worship and community and the Word of God to help people grow in their faith. So that's the second thing we want to do, but then this third one is love. And if you look at the fine print down below, what we say there is we want to help people love as you have been loved. What is that about? Christ has loved us perfectly, and so we want all that we do as a church to be to express the love that Christ has shown for us. And so today's passage, those two short verses that were just read, 
are really about that third one. So now you can just kind of turn the page in your bulletin. If you want to take notes, you can leave that diagram behind. We want to talk about what it means to love. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says that we are to be imitators of God and to walk in love just as, as Christ has loved us. So what does it mean to walk in love? What does it mean practically in your life and my life to walk in love? What does that look like? What do we do? Well, there are three, I, I believe, powerful truths in these two verses that will give us, that will lay the groundwork, that will give us direction, that will talk about what love is about. And I'm gonna give you those three things in just a moment, but I wanna start with this illustration. Everybody in this room, as you go through life, you leave a wake. Just like a boat leaves a wake. So when I'm, on, uh, when I'm with uh, Ben Brown and his family on Lake Conway in their boat, I look behind the boat as it's, as it's going along really fast, and I see these two waves out there, and that is the wake of the boat. Now, the reality of life is that every person, when they pass through an organization, when they pass through a church, when they pass through a business, they leave a wake. What do we mean by that wake? Well, there is a relational wake, for example. They, there's a relational wake and there is a task wake. What do we mean by a relational wake? A relational wake is the impact that they have on people and on relationships. So some people pass through an organization or a business or a church and they just leave a trail of division and slander and gossip and destructive relationships, and there's blood all over the place. They leave unresolved conflict in their wake, and then they go to wherever else they're going. Other people pass through an organization, and they leave a different kind of relational wake. It is a, it is a wake of love, of benefiting people, of caring for people, of, help, of nurturing people and helping them grow. That's the, that's the relational wake. The task wake is there are some people who pass through an organization, a church, a business, and stuff gets done. They, are, they, they accomplish tasks. They have a beneficial effect on the mission of a business or an organization or a church. And you've all known people like that. You want to hire people like that. You want to hire people that leave both a, a positive relational wake of love you want to hire people who leave a positive task wake of getting things done. And uh, there's also an application here to parenting because you think about what is, what is my goal for my children? I want them to be developed in their character. In other words, I want to have children who as they go through life, they love people well and they work well. They do their homework as students, but when they grow up, they, they get jobs and they work well, but they also leave a relational wake of love. That wake, now listen carefully to this, that wake of love and task is a reflection of your character, your character. God cares about our character, and character is shaped over time. And this is where the gospel comes in. This is why the gospel is such good news. Because the gospel is much greater than we thought. It does, the gospel does three things for you. We said the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. 
So he saves sinners. What does that mean? Well, number one, when you put your faith in Christ, he forgives you for all your sins. Number two, though, he changes your actions. He changes your behavior. But then here's the good news. Number three, he changes your character. Character change is an inside job that takes place over time. And this is why I feel like Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is such an important passage for us this morning because it's really about the character of love. It's about walking in love. In fact, I will have hope for this church. In fact, I do have hope for this church if all of us learn to walk in love. I have hope for your marriage if you learn to walk in love. I have hope for your business life if you learn to walk in love. I have hope for your, the trajectory of your life if you learn to walk in love. So here are the three things we're gonna learn today about love. Number one, number one, it's this. Love is about the good of the other. Love thinks of the good of the other. How did I put that here? Ah, love seeks the good of the other. That's the way you wanna put it. Love seeks the good of the other. Secondly, Love is empathy, and third, love is sacrifice. So that's our three-point outline today. Simple, and we wanna take that right out of this passage. So will you take another look back at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2? We wanna talk about how love seeks the good of the other. Now, some of you guys are thinking, Mike, this is easy. This is easy. It's not. It's an inside job. It's about character. Love seeks the good of the other. Well, where do we see that in this passage? Well, you notice it says to be imitators of God as beloved children. The idea of imitators of God, by the way, in this passage refers back to chapter four where it says that we are being renewed according to the image of God. We were created in the image of God, which partly involves loving well and working well. We were created in the image of God, but that image was marred by sin. And so part of salvation, God changing our character, is he wants to turn us into imitators of God. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. And notice this, walk in love as Christ loved us. Underline the word us. As Christ loved us. Christ sought the good of the other. He sought our good. He loved us and gave himself up for us. So, so we want to be like Christ. Christ sought the good of the other. One of the things that I've had to struggle with throughout my years is selfishness. Now, I used to not think that I was a selfish person until I got married. And then I really realized I was a selfish person. But then I didn't really realize how selfish I was until I had children. I remember several years ago, I was reading a book by Henry Cloud called Integrity. And one of the things he talks about in that book is uh, the concept of the narcissist. And are, you ever heard this term, the, a narcissist? It's a person who is fixated on themselves. And without getting into any, I'm not gonna get into like clinical definitions of narcissism, all of that, but basically, the Bible teaches that you and I were born sinners, we have a selfish nature. So I was reading this book on narcissism, and have you guys ever seen the, the Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day? It came up this past week, because it was like that, like 
that animal comes out, you know, it's Groundhog. The Groundhog, that's the name of the animal. Groundhog comes out. So I was watching this movie, Groundhog Day, and it's got Bill Murray in it. And the love interest is a um, scow that looks, it's named Andy McDowell, right? So they're having this conversation in this movie, and he asked her this question, what are the characteristics of the guy that you are looking for? Remember that? And uh, she starts listing all these different things, and Bill Murray is sitting there listening to her talk about all these positive qualities about the ideal guy. He's going, well, me, 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 me. It's a great, a, a great scene. Well, I was reading this book that had these characteristics of narcissism, and I started going, me, me, me. And I finally had to ask my wife, I said, honey, like, this looks like it's me. I'm a selfish person. And I said, Molly, am I a narcissist? And she either lied or did something, but she said, well, no, I don't, you know, I don't totally think you're a narcissist. I, 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 you wouldn't be worrying about this if you were. And so, you know, that just gave me a little bit of hope. But it was, but I had to get in touch with my selfishness. Now, how do we deal with that? I've said that, I've said that character change is an inside job. And so one of the things that God wants to do is, is, is to have us think about the good of the other. And I think this starts in little ways that we, that we do this. It starts with little things. For example, Molly and I are watching two Netflix shows right now. And we have a difference in what we like on, to watch on Netflix. Like I like like Northern European political crime dramas with subtitles. And she does too, by the way. She really appreciates that. Molly has fallen in love with this Netflix show called Schitt's Creek. Have you ever heard of Schitt's Creek? So uh, she says, Mike, I want to watch Schitt's Creek tonight. And I go, well. And, and then so what, what's been really interesting was kind of overcoming uh, getting into, and I found out Schitt's Creek is an amazing show. It's hilarious, and each episode is brief, and uh, you know, it allows me to say a word like Schitt's Creek in church, and it's just a, the, the name of the show, and, and she starts liking the stuff that I do. So in little ways, every night as we're wrestling with Netflix, we wonder, am I willing to seek the good of the other? Then we learned about love languages in marriage. There's love languages. Now, Molly and I have actually different love languages, but it kind of, the idea of love languages is you learn to communicate love the way your spouse would like it. So, Molly has two love languages at least. One of them is touch. The other one is gifts. Okay, so I am awful at both of those things. So, that's my selfishness. That's my, so, so, Part of the, 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 my growth in the Christian life is learning to speak to her in her love language. By the way, my love language is um, words of encouragement or words of affirmation. And so she, you know, she's got to, we're trying, so I'm lousy at giving gifts. But one of the things about Molly's love language of touch is that she likes me to um, kind of tickle her arm. So we're sitting there watching TV and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to watch Netflix and Molly sticks her arm out. <laughs> and I'm supposed to like tickle it or something. And, it, and I have gone through years of that being the most annoying thing in the world. It just makes me angry. It's like, Molly, I'm, I'm caring for other people all day long and now you want me to tickle you. Why? It's not my love language. I don't understand it. 
But one of the, the sort of, as she has challenged me over the years, one of the growth areas in my life is learning to relate to her in her love language. Now you go out from the, 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 uh, the sort of the little things, which I think the little things are really important ways to work out changes in our character. If we love as Christ loved us, we think about the gospel, we think about what it means, it moves us in the direction of seeking the good of the other. So I'll give you another example. I might as well just talk about stuff today. Are you guys okay with that? I was talking to Bart Johnson several months ago, like as we were really getting into COVID and people learning about masks and stuff. And have you guys noticed that masks have become like a point of contention? They become political. They become stuff to fight about, stuff to write on Facebook about. And, and it's, just a, it's just a crazy thing because if anything's a secondary issue, like below the Trinity, it's masks, I think. So uh, I asked Bart Johnson one time, I said, well, Bart, because you know, Bart's nobody's fool. He's really not, Bart Johnson. He's one of our elders. And I said, Bart, what do you think about wearing? And in typical Bart fashion, he looks back and he says, well, I've got, I've got three things that factor into my decision about wearing masks. Well, one of those reasons, the third reason that he, that he should, like, why is Bart Johnson willing to wear a mask? I mean, he knows the science, you guys. Like, he understands how stuff works. Why in the world is he agreeing to wear a mask? You know what he said? He said, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 8 that when it comes to gray areas, we show love to people by showing deference to them. It's like seeking the good of the other. 1 Corinthians 8, and, and the whole time of all this controversy, we did 1 Corinthians last year, and Joe White gave an amazing sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I just wanted everybody to hear that sermon again, because it's, it's 1 Corinthians 8 showing deference to one another. One other realm, if you expand beyond like church out into business or out into the world, I want to share one more example though of, of of why it's really worth it to grow to seek the welfare of the other, to seek the good of the other. In a former job in my life, back in the early 2000s, I had a role of traveling internationally and working with people from other countries in Africa, in Europe, Canada, and other places. And I, I was so glad I read a book called um, The Global the New Global Executive. And what it, the thesis of this book was that there are about five skills that a business manager needs to have to be successful in America, but then there are three other skills that somebody needs to be effective internationally in business. You know what one of those th other three skills was? And this totally saved my bacon when, it, when I came to working with people in Africa and Europe was it was a skill called perspective taking. And it's the ability to see things from another person's perspective. And I remember learning that, seeking the good of the other, and it was so vital for building trust with all these people that I was working with in Africa and Europe who tend to distrust Americans and, uh, you know, who's this guy coming in? And so just remembering that one thing. So love is seeking the good of the other, and it just has has so many implications for family life, for our jobs, 
for whatever God has called us to do, and especially for our church and a lot of what's happening in our culture. Number two, what's the second thing that we see in this passage and what do we learn about love? The first is that love seeks the good of the other. That alone, you guys, is one of the most challenging things in life. But number two, love is empathy. Love is empathy. Now, you might look at verses one and two of Ephesians five and say, well, Mike, where do you get empathy in this verse? One of the things you have to do is look around the neighborhood and you go up to chapter four and verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we learned last week about the importance of empathy, of being tenderhearted and how God wants us to have empathy. It's the word for tenderhearted there, because remember, we're talking about being imitators of God, of the example of Christ in this passage. That same word is used about Jesus in Matthew 9, where it says he, he looked on the multitudes and he felt compassion on them because they were lost and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So one of the things you realize when you look at the life of Jesus And when you look at what empathy is, you see the importance of emotion, you see the importance of caring. And some of you might be saying, well, Mike, I just thought love was a choice, I thought it was like just doing the right thing. But when you look at the word tenderhearted, you also see that love is empathy. So one of the things that God wants to do, if we want to leave a wake, a relational wake of love, one of the areas where we need to grow in our character is the area of empathy because love is empathy. When I was 31 years old, I was doing college ministry up in Virginia. And at the age of 31, I was offered a promotion to a higher level of the organization. So it was like a regional job. and. I had one of my staff pull me aside to have an honest conversation with me. His name was Dave. I will never forget what he told me. He said, Mike, when you move to this other position, and it's a, it's a greater supervisory type of role, he said, to me, he said, Mike, one of the things that you need to learn to do is to have empathy for people who are struggling. Now, what was great about what he said to me, first it drove me up the wall, but what, he, what was great about that is that Ephesians 4, which is the best passage about spiritual growth, says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into all aspects in him. So this was a person younger than I was. I was his boss, and he was saying to me, Mike, you need to learn to have empathy for people who struggle. And I'll never forget that he, that he did that for me. And now I could have said, are you guys familiar with a, a personality assessment called the Enneagram? Some of you have heard of that. Don't worry if you've not heard about it. Uh, I am like, I don't know anything about the Enneagram. I mean, my kids told me about one time, they said, yeah, I was listening to an Enneagram podcast, and I thought, Amy Grant has a podcast? So I I didn't really know much about what it was, but my wife and other people tell me that my number on this personality assessment is a three, which means an achiever. So 
when, when Dave told me, Mike, you need to learn to empathize with people who struggle, I could have said to him, Dave, no, I don't. I'm a three. I'm an achiever. Well, I, it, is so, it was so powerful, the impact of what he said on me, because as I, as I moved through my 30s, remember, God wants to develop character. It's an inside job. So what happened in my 30s? I lost both of my parents, and I started to experience loss. Another thing that happened in my 30s was Molly and I got involved in one of the best churches we've ever been a part of, and we got into a small group of people who would tell their stories. They would talk about emotion. They would talk about weakness. They would talk about failure. They would talk about some of the songs that we sang this morning and what, that, what the message of those songs were. And you know what, guys? I did not even have a language for empathy. I did not even, I, had, I was so goal-oriented. I was so strategic. I did not have a language for feeling emotionally the empathy. But I went through some suffering during the 30s and my 30s, but you know what was cool? I was in a community and I had a wife who taught me empathy. Molly was always different on this front because I, I, people who struggled, I wondered why they always went to my wife instead of me. Like, I've got all the answers, you guys. Why don't you come to me? They would go to Molly, who had no answers. No, she didn't. She actually had better answers than I did. She had great answers, but she was welcoming because she was vulnerable, because she struggled, because she was honest. I didn't even have a language for that. But as I was involved in this community and as I went through some losses, I remember in my new traveling job, I would go visit with people, and I would have people bring to me really hard information about their struggles, and, uh, and, and I would cringe on the inside because what it did was it reminded me of my family of origin. My mom used to do that to my dad and to me. But I began to see a change in my heart where when somebody brought to me a struggle, instead of looking past them to the next person, instead of looking past them to my strategic vision, I actually began to feel a heartbeat inside me of empathy and care for that person. And um, so I'm so grateful for Dave because he told me he rocked my world, but we grow through truth and love. You know, empathy, um, I talked about it last week, and I want to say one more thing about empathy because I think, I think empathy is what's missing from the conversation today on politics, racism, or whatever it might be. And I learned something about empathy um, that relates to, you, as all of you know, since last spring and really prior to that, but there's been a heightened conversation about race in our country where a lot of people are talking about it. And uh, I remember after Ahmaud Arbery was killed, I had, I, had, I had known the importance of an empathic response to something like that. And I remember reaching out, I, I called a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Michael Aitchison, he's a fellow pastor, he's an African American, and after that I just called him up to ask him how he was doing.
Now, in calling, in calling Michael, I wasn't, um, I wasn't trying to be the white savior, nor was I trying to prove that I was woke, nor was I trying to litigate the facts of the death of Ahmaud Arbery or, or later of George Floyd or whatever, because you guys know that in the courts and the police and all kinds of stuff gets kind of debated. I didn't call Mike Aitchison for the purpose of a debate like that. I just called to say, how are you doing? You know what he told me? Because he doesn't need me to grovel. He doesn't need for me to be the white state. He doesn't need any of that, but he's a friend. And he said to me, Mike, what I think is best is to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what, you guys? That's what empathy is. And that's what I learned from Mike. That's what I, that's, that's what I learned. But it is, a, it is a growth area for us. But love is empathy. Jesus was tenderhearted. Jesus was filled with compassion. Number three, love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. We got one more thought from this passage. If we look back at verse two, Paul writes here, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, and, and off, a fragrant offering, and here's the word, a sacrifice to God. So love is sacrifice. I want to talk about sacrifice for a, for a few moments. First of all, we see that Christ gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself. And so any sacrifice in our lives that we engage in, it's because he sacrificed for us first. It's like we said at the beginning, we love because he loved us, so we sacrifice. We love as we've been loved. I saw some examples of that uh, in our church uh, over, the, over the years. Several years ago, there was a nightclub uh, an attack on a nightclub called the Pulse Nightclub in our city. I think something like 54 people died in that terrorist attack. And, um, you know, stuff like that happens, you don't know, you don't know what to do. And it was, uh, by, by all accounts, it was a predominantly gay nightclub, which was not even a factor or an issue. And but there were all sorts of things going on at that time, but Judy Johnson, member of our church, decided to lead our church in expressions of, tangible expressions of, of love and care for the police, for the victims of the massacre, for everything that was going on. And I'll never forget what, what Judy did and the many people that rose to the occasion to be a part of how she was leading that. But the real question is, why would Judy go to that sacrifice? Why would she lead us? It's because of what Christ did for her. Christ sacrificed for us, and so we sacrifice for one another. That's what God has called us to do. Every December, as a church, you guys know that part of our vision is to is to bring good news to the city, to serve the city. So one of the ways we do that is we partner with different organizations in the city that are doing really good work, strategic work. You can go to our, our landing page on Good News for the City and you can see those organizations. But one of the joys, thanks to the generosity that Chad referred to earlier, 
One of the joys is that every December, as a church, we give financial gifts to these organizations. We support them on an annual basis. In this December, we were able to increase the finances we were giving to these organizations. One of those organizations that we started supporting as a church is called Grace Medical Home. Grace Medical Home provides free medical services to people who are marginalized to give them access to the health care that they need. It is a fantastic organization. You know where I learned about that? I learned about it from Chad and Bridget Cahill because they have every year invited us to the annual fundraiser for Great Grace Medical Home where we can hear the story and all of that. And Chad and Bridget have been very involved. But why would they do that? What would motivate them to make that kind of a sacrifice to be involved with that organization? It is because Christ sacrificed for us. Christ loved us. And that is why we sacrifice. So love is sacrifice, but it's patterned after Christ. So love seeks the good of the other. Love is empathy and love is sacrifice. And I want to close with this thought as we reflect on this passage. There's actually a quote in your bulletin. So if you'll go to the inside front cover of your bulletin, I want to share with you uh, one of the quotes, because a, a really good question is, okay, these, these sort of three things about love that we see in the life of Christ, how do we grow in these areas? And I love what it says, because in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And so zero in on that phrase, beloved children. What is it that changes us? What is it that works on our character over time? And it is this understanding that we are loved by God. So look at this quote. It's from the Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible in the, in the notes below. It says, it is a firm grasp of being genuinely loved by God and of having a secure adoptive place in his family that motivates the self-sacrifice to which these verses call believers. As we go into communion, I want to share with you one final story of how, how I had to learn that the hard way, that I had to learn and relearn what it meant for me to be loved by God. When we first planted Lake Baldwin Church, the church took off like a SpaceX rocket. It was wonderful for two years. Then in the year number three, all these torpedoes began to hit the boat, the boat, and we had one of the worst years of my life. It was just an awful, awful year. One of the reasons that was a hard year was I underestimated the toll that it would take on me and my wife and my family to, to be involved in this. There were a lot of things that I didn't count on. There were a lot of things that I underestimated. One of the things about doing a church is people can vote with their feet. They can talk about you and all that. And I remember when we first started the church, there was a guy named Scott Alexander who has since died of cancer, but he was involved with the church at the beginning. And he used to tell all his friends, he used to talk about me to his friends. And Scott would say, one of the things about Mike Tilley is that he has nothing to prove. Because I was 52 year, years old when we started the church. Now, this is how long, I mean, you can think, Mike, are you ever going to grow up? Well, by the time we got to the third year of the church, I thought I was secure emotionally, but by year three, I had the emotional well-being of a child. And I was trying to prove myself every week in light of all the torpedoes that had hit the boat.
And what I needed to rebuild my heart was to, to, um, to embrace the gospel in ever deeper ways. I needed to relearn that I was beloved by God. And if I didn't, I would not be able to do this job. I would not be able to love people. I would leave a horrible wake. And so I needed to embrace the gospel, learn the gospel, which meant I needed to, I needed to just worship the way that you guys do and be in community and be honest. I needed to experience love from other people. I needed to receive that. I needed to welcome that. But I mostly needed to be reminded that Christ loved me and how he loved me. One of the ways that we all can internalize the love of Christ is in the Lord's Supper. Years ago when Danny Anderson first became an elder, he had an experience that I think a lot of our elders have, and that's that whenever he would serve communion, back in the days when we would have the long lines and stuff, Danny would always be in tears while he was serving communion. Now, why would, why would communion bring, bring Danny to tears? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if Danny's ever really told me, but I think part of it is that he is internalizing the love of God that means so much to him, and his water level is right up to here. And when he takes the Lord's Supper and he remembers the love of Christ for him, it starts to come out, and he, and he feels it. I believe that it is things like the Lord's Supper and hearing the gospel as Mark shared it with us this morning in worship that, that, that enable us to understand and experience and take in that we are loved by God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning needy of your love, desperate of your love, needing to experience your love, and you have given us something that enables us to taste your love. So as we come to this table, Lord, we set apart these elements from their common use for this sacred use so that we can commune with Christ. We thank you for that Christ came for the other. We thank you for the empathy and compassion of Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.